coming up on the 6Ps podcast. We look over chapters 8, 9, 10, 11 and 12 from Year of Wonders, summarising those key chapters and answering the questions to the holiday homework. That's coming up right now on the 6Ps podcast. Yes, and it is great to have your company for another edition of the 6Ps podcast as we head into Term 3 and our comparative unit. Hopefully those oral presentations are done and dusted, which means we have just one sack to go for Unit 3 and 4 English. A reminder to anyone who would like to get in touch with some questions or feedback, you are more than welcome to email me. 6ps podcast at gmail.com. That's 6ps podcast at gmail.com. It's been great to hear from um, many of you from across Melbourne and Victoria. A um, lot of interest, which is great, and um, keep the feedback coming. But let's get straight into it and looking at chapter 9 of the Year of Wonders, and this is the Poppies of Lethe. To summarise this chapter, it comes up after the um, childbirth scene and Anna, uh, who had stolen some poppy resin from Eleanor, and she tries some, and she has some vivid dreams. She goes to the Gowdy's cottage for more and meets Eleanor, who shares with Anna her story, and the intimacy between Anna and Eleanor grows, and... I guess Eleanor's friendship leads Anna away from the abyss and together they will work together trying to understand how best to combat the plague. Looking at the questions for this chapter and the first one, I asked you to describe Sam's experiences of poppies, which is all Anna really has to go on. But the quote there is at the very end of page 137 that later he said the dreams he had were the sweetest of his lifetime. And Anna uses that obviously as um, a guide and um, ends up taking the poppies then asks you to explain her experience and it describes her vivid dreams and the quote on page 139 says but my mind was more serene than it had been since that warm day and she says by the slant of the light i could tell i'd slept 10 hours the first unbroken sleep i could remember in an age so a really positive experience for and one of those is quite vivid. We then go to some of the quotes from pages 140 to 142 and ask you to explain what these quotes tell us. The first one. The Montpellions reeled from one grievous scene to the next. We'd fall naturally into this way of dividing our toil. The rector would deal with the business that accompanied dying, while his wife and I managed the matters of those left alive. The use of inclusive language, sorry to get into a bit of a language analysis mode, but suggests that real strength between the three characters, our three key characters, the Montpellions and Anna together, and the way they work together to help others. They show compassion. Michael particularly um, works extremely hard 
in these days. The next quote. When poor old John Millstone arrived with his cart and found that the man was not yet dead, though near as good as, I heard him cursing under his breath. I must have looked sternly at him. Ah, forgive me, mistress, but these times they do make monsters of us all. It's just that I'm so very tired I can nay bear the thought of harnessing the cart horse twice when once might serve. This is, again, uh, a really important quote. Um, that Probably one of the most important ones is that idea that they do make monsters of us all. The plague and the crisis, and I guess the negative impact that has on the town. And the final quote. This time it was an onward horror that plunged me back into our hard reality, but my own realisation lying in my warm bed that I had no further means to secure such oblivion, the idea that Anna becomes dependent on poppies and goes out to try and find them. We then have some questions about pages 144 to 146. The first one asks us, what has John Talbot done to try and stop the plague's development in him? And that comes up on page 144. And the quote, he says, He said if we burn the plague sore away, then the disease would surely follow. The idea that he goes and burns the sores. The following question, find a quote which shows Kate Talbot is questioning God's power over the plague. And this comes up when she says, I bought this charm because that which I do believe has failed me. Richard has ever been a good man. Why does God rack him so? Our prayers in the church bring no relief. So the voice of the devil whispers to me, If God will not help you, he says, Mayhap I might. And this is again another instance of the devil and I guess that questioning of faith which a lot of the characters develop, particularly later on in this text. And the last question, What has Kate Talbot done to try and stave off the plague? And that is a spell, that abracadabra spell which she bought from the ghost of Annas Gaudi, Anise Gaudi, I should say. What is Anna's opinion of such superstition? Question four. Well, it's pretty clear. She says to Kate, throw away the paper and put these foolish, poisonous thoughts, for I'm sure we will find that someone of this village, corrupt and greedy but very much alive, was the voice you heard in the windy night. She doesn't believe it. She believes someone is essentially using... Um, this to gain from the plague, dressing up as the ghost of an Scouty or pretending to be the ghost of an Scouty. And the final section from chapter 9. The first question on page 148. What do Eleanor and Anna plan to do to help EM sufferers? And this quote comes from Eleanor. She says, The key of defeating this plague I'm convinced must lie here in the virtue of such plants as can be used to nourish those who remain in health. We must strengthen our bodies that we may continue to resist contagion. Eleanor believes the answer is in the plants. Question two asks you to find quotes which illustrates the women's changing relationships. And the first point, I guess, comes up with Eleanor when... Anna addresses her as Mrs. Montpellion, and she says, Eleanor, she said, interrupting, you and I cannot work on such terms as we now are and continue with the old forms. You must call me Eleanor. And it's a really interesting, a really important quote to showcase the 
changing social structures. The quote on page 155, again another great quote in terms of Anna's growth when she says, I felt certain at that moment I would do anything for this woman, anything she asked of me. And again, another theme that comes up is Anna and her relationship with the Gaudis as well as Eleanor, which really provides her with strength and resilience through this time. Page three, describe Eleanor's stories in your own words. You may use quotations if you wish. And this again is a really important scene. For me, um, Eleanor's story is one of sadness. It's one where she was taken advantage of. She didn't listen to her parents and she was just in love, basically. And she fell for Charles, who promised her the world. She then was abandoned by Charles and she found herself pregnant. She attempted to abort the child, leading to serious injuries. And that's what she was prescribed opium for. There's a really important quote which describes it, which links back to the plague and the graphic imagery when it says, I was desperate and I was deranged. I violated my own body with a fire iron. Question four asks you to find quotes to describe the Montpellier's relationship in its early stages. And it links in a little bit with the poppies because Eleanor says, they gave me poppy at first for the pain and then I think to keep me quiet. And I might very well still be wandering lost in those empty dreams if it were not for Michael. And Michael saves her. He is everything to her. She even says that later on on page 154, Michael offered me his friendship and later his love. He brought the brightness back into my dim world to show the really important role that he plays in her life. The last one, last question from this chapter, describe Anna's thoughts about poppies now. And that comes up on the end of page 148. Again, she says, I would try to be the woman that Eleanor wished me to be. And if I failed, I learned enough from our work that day to know where to look for the pale green shoots of poppy pushing through the soil of the Gaudi's garden come the spring. She actually throws the poppies into the fire as well at the end of that chapter. A really important chapter in terms of showing the growth between the relationship of Anna and Eleanor. Chapter 10. Among those that go down to the pit. In this chapter, we see that the physical toll on the rector becomes too great. That's on Michael Montpellion. Anna persuades her father to dig the graves. Anna and Eleanor continue their work trying to develop health-giving tonics. Anna and Eleanor help Mary Wickford to retain her father's mind. First question. What has changed in terms of how the dead are dealt with in EM? Page 159 has the first suggestion, that is the fact that he, being Michael, was digging graves. So the sexton had died and Michael was taking upon his job. And the quote on page 160 as well, um, after that, where it says, Families simply carried their loved ones to their graves, or if they were not strong enough, dragged them thither with blanket, slung beneath the armpits of the corpse. Mr. Montpellion prayed over each one by candlelight, then helped in piling the soil back into the graves. When he told in the churchyard, please came from two more families that he attended to them in their extremity. I would have kept the messages from him until morning, but Eleanor said it would not be right to do so. The idea that burial can't be done properly. Question two, how does Anna persuade Joss to begin 
helping digging graves. This is difficult for Anna. She has a very tense relationship with her father. On page 164, there's that quote, that she let go of her pride then and took my courage into my hands instead. Without telling Eleanor what I proposed, I trudged out to my father's croft, hoping that the day was young enough to find him sober still. So Anna swallows her pride and goes to him. The next quote on page 165 suggests how she does it. She says, speaking with a respectful deference that I did not feel, I explained the plight at the rectory and, flattering him about his great strength and fortitude, beseeched his help. She basically comes to him, to him desperate and almost, as she says, she flatters him in order to convince him to do so. The next question asks you, what changes does Michael Montpellion propose? On page 169, he said he must close the church. Mr. Montpellion began weeping too, his exhaustion making his tears invincible. Do not despair, he said, struggling to smile, for a church is not a building merely. We shall still have our church, but we will have it in the midst of God's own creation. And they end up having the church in the Catholic Delph. The last one. Explain in your own words what Anna and Eleanor do for Mary Wickford and what motivates them. This is a really important scene. The first one being that we see Anna and Eleanor at work, um, which is really interesting. In fact, when they get changed into clothing to go down into the pit, there's a really nice passage on page 178 where Anna says, I looked at Eleanor when she was attired in her minus kit and wondered again about the strange turns this year was bringing us to. She seemed to catch my thought and laughed at herself. All those ancestors who stared at me from the portraits when I was a girl, all those silken ladies and bee-ribbon men, I wonder what they'd say about their descendant if they could see her now. I did not tell her that I knew quite well what Sam, what my Sam would say. Happen you mun be planet-struck woman to think on what you're doing. He would not, I knew, have been laughing. It's a really nice scene. Look, I, I think the reason they do it is compassion. Um, Mary is all alone. This is all she really has. And it's a compassion which allows them to help Mary. We talk about what the plague does to people and the negative impact it has on people, but here we see a really good deed done. And in fact, Eleanor, sorry, Anna mentions on the very last page of this chapter, on page 188, she says, Still, I slept better that night than I had since the nights of the poppy's dreams. And later on, she explains why. And it was because I had the satisfaction of having done a thing that would come out right. A really great scene to read and a really important one in terms of character growth. Um, Anna almost dies when she's down in the mine as well. We're going to take our first break today, episode J. Look at some jams. Um, we're going to head up to North Byron Parklands. It's splendid on the grass this weekend. So we've got some splendid jams to play for you this week. We'll be back right after this.
This brings us to chapter 11, The Body of the Mind. A synopsis. Joss Bont becomes shamelessly greedy. He is finally called to account by the Barmote Court, and as a result of his punishment, he dies. First question, page 190 to 191. Fine quotes to illustrate how Joss is exploiting the people of Eam. And um, I picked the quote from 190. And where it says, For those too ill or weak to bury their dead, he, being Joss, demanded a high fee. He would take whatever in the house or field had most value, be it the barrel of the herring of the children counted on for their winter nourishment, the gravid sow, or the precious brass candlestick passed father to son for generations. Sometimes he would take his trophies to the miner's tavern, set them upon the bar, and brag on his cleverness. When even his cronies began to remonstrate with him, he brought off their ill opinion by paying for their ale with the shillings of the dead. A great quote to showcase Joss's greed, and it links in nicely with the crucible with Thomas Putnam, who again uses the crisis, being the witchcraft trials, for his own personal greed and own personal gain. Page 192 to 200, find quotes show Joss's despicable behaviour. Got a couple that I've used for this. The first one is on page 192. In consequence, as the weeks passed, his wickedness only grew. He had become so fond of his afternoons at the alipot, at the ale pot that he let it be known that he would not bury anyone past noon. Not only showing his laziness, but also his greed. Page 194 is the other quote I've used as well. And it says, And then he finally committed an act so vile that even our population, diminished and exhausted, was spurred at last to action. The next question asks... Page 203, how has Anna changed? And this comes up when she's at the court. And the quote is, Josiah Bont, since you do not do own these crimes, we do find thee guilty. Does anyone wish to speak for this man before I proclaim his penalty? And then Anna says, Every eye in the place turned to me then, where I stood by the wall to the right of Alan Houghton, trying to vanish into the shadows. Every one, including my father's. His glare was hard at first. The prideful look of a cock of the walk. But as I gazed back at him in silence, the look changed to one of surprise and then confusion, and finally, as the realisation that I would not speak came at last upon him, his whole face sagged. There was rage there, but also disappointment, and the slow dawning of a sad understanding. I had to look away then, for that hint of his grief was more than I could bear. I knew I would pay for my silence, but I could not speak for him, or rather would not. I really liked that idea that she would not talk for him. Question two, what is Joss's punishment? He's sent to the stoves. His hands are nailed into the stoves. And he's left there, presumably. What normally happens is a family member comes to collect them after everyone has gone. After, But um, as we find out, no one does. And on next question, what circumstances lead to Joss's death? Well, it was a really bad weather. The, and it says the, not, the snow turned to rain. And then she says on page 205, I believe my father died waiting for Afra, expecting her coming until his last instant. Page 208, find quotes that show Afra's superstitious beliefs. It comes when, uh, or through the burial, um, the little man, there, she doesn't pray, or there's no sign of the cross that she makes, and it's this feeling that Anna has that Afra is changing. We'll see more of that in the next chapter 
which is chapter 12, The Press of Their Ghosts. And to summarise in this chapter, the villagers are exploited by Anissa's ghost. Anna comes to her own conclusion about the plague's origin and the misery caused by the persistence generates some strange and extreme responses. And this chapter for me is all about how people respond to a crisis, particularly the negative responses. So how does Anna react to Joss's death, the first one? Well, she says at the very start, she says, I cried for my father. Uh, So it's one of sadness when her father dies, which is interesting because when she talks about her father, it never is in really a positive light, so it does surprise us. But this leads on to the next question, describe the abuse suffered by Joss. Anna explains to Eleanor what had happened to him. She says, I had learned of what lay behind his depravities. The same terrible stories he had poured into their unwilling ears of a frightened child, which is her, who had not wished to hear them, how he had been buggered as a boy by the rough men of the fleet and learned to spill down rum until he did not mind. How he had gone under the lash of a boatswain's mate, who had troubled to comb the cat between each stroke so that the tails landed all in the one bloody tangle and left a rend in his back so deep that ever after he could not fully raise his left hand and later on on page 210, how he had seen his only friend rip jowl to calf by barnacles in an unjust keel hauling, how he had survived the term of his apprenticeship and got offshore at last, only to be picked up by a press gang and forced back again to sea, and how he had lived ever after in fear that he would somehow be pressed again, even far inland as we lived, and dragged back into his nightmares." Next question, find quotes that show the increase of superstition in Eam. There's a fair bit on page 210 to 11. Um, she says, I believed that she convinced my father that she had, this is Afra, that she had somehow obtained chance or charms or some such to preserve them from the plague's inflictions. This is talking about the children. If that is so, Afra and your father are not alone in embracing such beliefs. Later on, it talks about Margaret lives edge. A witch gave it to her, the ghost as she said of an Gaudi. The ghost told her the words were Chaldi, a powerful spell from sorcerers who worship Satan naked and painted with snakes at each full moon. She had her twine, the cloth like a snake around the child's neck where the plague sore was, and the fact that someone took a silver shilling off her for such wickedness. Superstition does grow. As I said previously, this chapter is all about the consequences of the crisis of the plague and we see so many different uh, reactions to it and they sort of start on page 216 or I guess on 214 the first I guess consequence is Anna's loss of faith she begins questioning her faith really she says on page 215 perhaps the plague was neither of the god nor the devil but simply a thing in nature Anna questions her faith here so let's look at these characters the first one is Andrew Merrick on page 218, he goes and lives on his own. He goes, it says here, to live off all alone, save for his cockerel, in a rude hut he built for himself near the summit of Sir William Hill. Jane Martin, she began to seek insensibility in the pond, so she turned to drinking and also became quite promiscuous. She went from being, on page 218, colder than a lay well into a bawdy jade who could scarce keep her legs closed. And this comes up a little bit later. The most 
common response to get to this is John Gordon from page 218 to 219. He becomes a flagellant. Um, Anna describes John Gordon's fear that led him down upon the queerest path, the most unusual path, which is hurting himself. He, She then, in confusion, goes to Michael Montpellion, who is quite concerned about it. He says on page 221, we lost the galleys to a like madness. I would not lose another soul. The idea that flagellants see the plague as discipline for human sin. Page 227 is also a great quote that shows the contagious nature of fear and superstition. And Anna says, But fear, as I have said, was working strange things in all of us, corroding our ability for clear thought. And she talks about Martin Miller, who had girded his family in sackcloth and fashioned himself a scourge. Randall Daniel did likewise, though thankfully he did not ask it of his wife and babe. Together, Randall and the Millers went about the village, exhorting others to join them in their bloody self-chastisement. The last question from this section talks about Michael Montpellier and his response. And his is one of great anger. On page 222 to 223, he stumbles across Jane Martin with Albion Samways there being very promiscuous. And in, in italics, he quotes to Jane Martin. He says, get on your knees, on your knees, sinner. He turns to, to anger and he explains why. He says, she's taken the pure vessel of her body and filled it with corruption. She's done this knowingly. She shall be punished. We see a really different side of Michael. And even Anna is quite surprised. She says she was mortified to have been the cause of this, witnessing this on page 223. But when Michael and Michael returns home to Eleanor, we see Anna's jealousy. And that comes up on page 229. She says, or firstly on page 228, I was jealous of both of them at once, of him because Eleanor loved him, and I hungered for a greater share of her love than I could ever hope for, and yet I was jealous of her too, jealous that she was loved by a man as a woman is meant to be loved. We're going to go to our last song for the episode. We'll be back to wrap up in just a moment. Oh, you thought I was here, huh? Talk to me, tell me 
That's all we have time for on episode J of the Six P's podcast. As I said, if you'd like to get in touch, please do so by email 6PSPodcast at 6PSPodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to wrap up Year of Wonders, chapters 13, 14, 15 in the epilogue, and hopefully we'll be able to get through the four acts of The Crucible next week as well. So look out for a number of episodes next week. Until then... Remember, proper prior preparation prevents poor performance.